0: Thought we were about to get ready to rock, (laughs) but it's just me. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Let's uh, let's start with a word of prayer before we jump into Hebrews this morning and as people come back in from taking kids to the back and all, they'll join us over the next few minutes. Uh, Pray with me. Our Father, I thank you for uh, this morning and for gathering your people together uh, to worship Jesus. I pray that Jesus has made known here this morning that, you, that he's glorified and lifted up for us to see. That I pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work to, to make him known to us, to, to, to make his great love for us known in our heart of hearts. I pray that it would be your words this morning and not mine, and that you would have each one of us hear what we need to hear, and that you would uh, say what you want to say. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen we're continuing this morning in Hebrews uh, we're going to be in chapter three and chapter four um, before we get into that, let's just consider that how Jesus maybe isn't big enough for many of us. Jesus isn't big enough for many of us he he may be like big enough to help us later to to maybe do something with us like after we die, which which is a pretty amazing thing, but he isn't really able to do much for us today. Or if he's able to, maybe he's not willing to. Maybe he doesn't want to. We just don't really know what we can trust him with right now, what we can trust him with today. We wouldn't likely say these things out loud. Maybe we don't even know that we think them, but that doesn't mean it's not true. I mean, it's often demonstrated in how we make Decisions in our life, right? Like how we would spend our money or, or how we can be generous or, or what we do with our time or what we have to accomplish or, or maybe what we avoid or, or even who we avoid. It's often demonstrated in our lives. Is Jesus big enough and great enough to do the very best stuff in your life today? I'm not sure that we really even know what the best stuff is, if we're really honest. But I think Hebrews meets us right where we are, and it aims to help us kind of gain a bigger and a better understanding of who Jesus is, and to help us gain a stronger belief and a bigger belief in Jesus that is for us even today. So like I said, we're going to be in Hebrews 3 and 4 this morning. You can go ahead and turn there if you want to, and we're going to we'll also have it on the screen if you want to follow along that way. And we're going to go ahead and read these first few verses. It's chapter 3, verses 1 through 6 of Hebrews. It says this. It says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and the high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him, who appointed to him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses." As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. To testify to the things that were to be spoken of later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. We don't absolutely know who the audience was of this sermon. It's likely uh, that it was for Hebrew Christians uh, living in Rome during a time when it was increasingly dangerous to be a Christian in Rome. But whether it was there or whether it was somewhere else, we know that whoever it was to, they were in harm's way. Like we know from the sermon, from this very letter that the people that it was addressed to have already endured persecution, and that many are even in prison at the time. And so many of these Christians hearing this sermon, reading this letter, they may even be tempted at the moment to leave the faith as the threat of suffering and death were becoming more of like a a reality to them. It was becoming more close to home. I mean life as a practicing Jew would have been far more comfortable, at least it would have been far less threatened than life as a Christian at the time when this was written. And so the preacher, like, exhorts them here to consider Jesus, to consider Jesus. And what he's really saying is, if you're on the edge, like, if you're, if you're thinking about going back to your old practices, back to the law, and back to your heritage for refuge and for uh, salvation, like, think it through. Really consider the Jesus we follow. He's already made the case in this first couple chapters uh, that that Jesus is greater than the angels, that his message is greater than the, the message of the angels, and that to deliver it, he made himself lower than the angels. And his message was that he is our help, that he's come to repair what's been undone and to deliver us from slavery, slavery to fear, slavery to sin, slavery to death. But the preacher goes on here. Consider Jesus even further than that. In order to deliver his message, Jesus demonstrated a faithfulness like Moses, but even more so, and he is even more worthy of honor than Moses. Why does the author bring up Moses? It's because Moses I mean, Moses started the whole thing, right? He's sort of the father of the faith. He was faithful to God's call, the Torah. That's the first five books of our Bible. He's credited with that. God gave it to Moses. And there was stuff before Moses, but there was no nation before Moses. And through Moses, God delivered his people from Egypt. He made them a people. He made them a nation. He gave them the the tabernacle in the wilderness. He gave them the law. He, He set their sights on the promised land. And so Moses represents it all for Hebrew people. Deliverance, the law, the promised land. And the author of Hebrews, he's not knocking Moses here. They're right to honor Moses. He was faithful in so many ways. He trusted God greatly through a lot of difficulty, and, and while a great many continued in disbelief and disobedience. But he is saying that as great as Moses was, as great as Israel was, as great as the law was, as great as the promised land was, Jesus is even better. Moses is below Jesus, just as the angels are below Jesus. Moses was a servant in the house, says the author of Hebrews. And everything Moses represents is in service of Jesus. The deliverance from Egypt, that's a service. The law, it's a service. The promised land, it's a service. All this happened to prepare the way for Jesus. It all prepared the way for God to deliver on his bigger promise, which Moses had written about when he wrote about Eden in the book of Genesis. The promise was always greater than the story of one people. It was always greater than the story of one nation. It was always about preparing the way to crush the serpent's head, to redeem the world, to restore what was broken, to come for all people. Moses was a servant in God's house. Jesus is the Son of God, and it's his house. It was always pointing to Jesus. So the preacher exhorts the audience who might be barely hanging on, who might be ready to go back to their heritage and the laws of Moses, and essentially he's communicating to those who are thinking of turning back. He's saying turning back to Moses, turning back to the law to save you, is to go back through the door you came in. To turn back to Moses, that's leaving the house that Moses was leading you to. To really kind of dig further in and to help them consider Jesus and to make his point, a great deal of chapter 3 and 4 actually moves from Moses a bit, and it takes a closer look at the promised land versus the promise of Jesus. So let's go ahead and look at at this next section, chapter 3, verses 6 through 11. It says, "...and we are his house." Now, this is quoting Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11, the first part of which is what we read as our call to worship this morning. And the author of Hebrews is is using this psalm to remind the people of what happened in the wilderness to those that Moses was leading to the promised land and how they refused to trust God and how they went their own way. For time this morning, I'm not going to read the story. I'm just going to give you a bit of a summary. But if you want to, you can go back to Numbers 14, and you can find a great deal of the story there. But basically, after God had already delivered the people from Egypt, from slavery from Egypt, after he had parted the Red Sea so that they could walk through it, after he led them to Sinai and he spoke with Moses on the mountain and gave them the, the, the Ten Commandments, And he promised the land that was going to be flowing with milk and honey. Then he led them to the edge of the place that they would one day call home. He led them to the edge of the promised land, right? And from there, they sent some spies out before them to kind of assess the land and assess the situation before they went in. And when the spies came back, they brought back a report that the people who were there, uh, the people who dwelled there, they were great in number and that they were mighty And the general consensus amongst the spies was essentially that they had no chance of overtaking this people. Only Joshua and Caleb, two of the spies, said otherwise. They said it was a great land that was flowing with milk and honey, and if if the Lord was pleased to give it to his people, then he would do it. But the masses distrusted that God would act on their behalf. They, like us, were obviously forgetful. They had already forgotten all the ways in which God had already acted mightily on their behalf. The spies saw something difficult ahead of them. And the scripture says that the people said that they would just be better off to go back to Egypt. That they should just walk back into slavery. That seemed better than the way of God. And because of their disbelief, They're seeking to go back. They're seeking to go their own way. God gave them over to that, and none of them entered the promised land that day. Actually, it was years and years later, once they had all died and a new generation had risen up. Only then did God bring his people into the promised land, and only Caleb and Joshua were still alive to see it because of their faith. Maybe it sounds crazy. Like, how could they have not believed after after all that they had already seen God do? It wasn't stories for them, right? I mean, they actually walked through a parted Red Sea. They ate manna. They ate bread from heaven. How could they not believe? But isn't this how many of us think also? And don't you think that the audience of Hebrews People who were in harm's way, could they likely have been thinking in a similar way? Kind of like, hey, from what we can see of the future, it just looks like suffering and dying. And we'd rather just go back to where we were and to what we were a part of. But I think that there's something really important for us to hear, something really important for us to consider. And that's this. If we can't Walk towards death as we follow Jesus, then death is still our master. If we can't walk towards death when we follow Jesus, then death is still our master. It still has more power over us than Jesus. You know, the promised land was supposed to be a place that was flowing with milk and honey, meaning a land that would yield food and drink and nourishment. It's a place where God's people would dwell in houses that they didn't build, a place where God provided for his people's needs and they wouldn't have toiled for it. It's a place where the curse of Genesis was demonstratively like being reversed, a place where God was with his people and where they were resting in him as their sustainer place of rest. It's a place of rest. That's how the promised land was referred to by God in, De- in Deuteronomy 12, which is what David in Psalm 95:11, which we just read, which the author of Hebrew quotes, said. He said, Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And rest is what the preacher of Hebrews really hones in on in these couple of chapters, especially in in chapter 4 verses 1 through 11 if you want to read with me on this it says therefore while the promise of entering his rest still stands let us fear lest let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it for good news came to us just as to them but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened for we who have believed Entered that rest, as he said, as I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his work, and again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. He makes this argument that that I admittedly would say it kind of seems hard to follow, but it's, it's really quite simple. Essentially, he's saying that David, a king who came years and years later, way after Israel had already entered the promised land, David called the people in his day to trust God, to follow his ways, and to enter God's rest. To not be like those in the wilderness who refused to trust God and died, never making it into the promised land. And the author is basically saying, and the fact that David says this indicates that the rest of the promised land wasn't the ultimate rest. There was something more. David recognizes that the rest of God was available to the people in the wilderness before they ever entered the promised land. Because the rest of God is entered into, is experienced, whenever we have confidence in Him over all else, whenever we put our faith in Him. And the rest of God in David's day was still available to all who looked to God and followed Him. The promised land itself, it was merely a physical representation of a greater reality, that God is our creator, that God is our sustainer, and that he can be trusted in all that he says and that all that he will do. And The writer of Hebrews digs into this so much because he's also pointing to the same truth. The promise of entering his rest still stands. There's something for today. What was true for them is still true for us. Our promised land, like, that's not just something that lies over the rainbow somewhere. It's not just a, a, re, a reality out there. It's a reality here. It's a reality now. It's a reality for today. The promise of entering his rest still stands. And we have even more to go on, right? Right? Like, we know about all the Moses stuff. We know about deliverance from Egypt. We know about the sea parting, about the water from the rocks, the bread from heaven, the actual promised land. We've heard about what God can do and what he has done. But we have even more because we have Jesus who did all of that and who also came and he lived and he died and he rose again and he defeated death. Surely, God's people in the wilderness, they ought to have believed that God could get them the land based on what they already knew of Him. But even more so, then, I mean, do you know what we profess to believe? We believe that Jesus has conquered death. So it should follow that if, if we spy death ahead, if we spy suffering or death ahead of us, if we're following Jesus, what do we have to fear? Isn't the rest of God available to us even in the face of death and suffering, since our Savior has already shown His power over both? This is the secret of finding rest in God for today. It's not just believing that Jesus has gone to, to prepare us a really nice place for, for after we die, where everything will be made new and, and everything will be right and good. That's true. And it's amazing, and we can't wait to get there. But his rest is also for us today. Because we can have confidence in him no matter what may come. Jesus and his way for us is better than our own way. Is death and suffering your master? Or is Jesus your master? Who or what do you believe in? Who or what do you let have power over you for fear of death and suffering would you go astray are you tempted to turn back or do you stay with Jesus because you have found that you can trust him in life and in death now maybe all that sounds fine and good but when you really think about it nobody's been trying to kill you right and so maybe it doesn't really seem that serious maybe it doesn't seem to apply I keep this note on my desk that I wrote and and I just want to share it with you. It just says this. It says, don't be scared of death. I've died a thousand little deaths in this life and God has defeated it every time. You can't convince me that he can't do the same with my physical death. Maybe you're not thinking about your physical death that much. But what little deaths are you scared to die? What desires don't you want to let go of? What goals do you have that you're unwilling to leave unaccomplished? What time don't you want to give up? What failures do you have to deny? What secrets do you have to keep hidden? If you go back to that story in Numbers 14... Is verses 7 through 9. It's where Joshua and Caleb, the spies, they gave their assessment of whether the prom- promised land was attainable. Just listen to what they said. They said, The land which was passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. That's what I hear the preacher of Hebrews saying to his audience. Those who might be thinking of turning back, those who are thinking about going astray, looking for their own way because they're scared of what might be ahead. He's saying, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of death. God is in charge of your death, and and even if your time has come, he can be trusted to provide in it and through it and after it. This side of death, we can rest assured that Jesus is good and that he's great and better than anything we could ever turn to. He can conquer every little death of this lifetime and make it into something beautiful. And on the other side of death, we're in a land flowing with milk and honey. There's eternal glory in and with Jesus and his people forever. I'd say the same thing to us this morning. Don't you be afraid of these little deaths. Don't be afraid to lose out so that you go looking for your own way. The one who loses his life finds it. Don't be afraid to suffer. Don't be afraid to die, no no matter how little the death. Consider Jesus through and through, and find your rest in him at all times and forever. And this morning, even as we come and we respond in a few minutes, I I want you to consider Jesus. Consider the, the death on the cross that you know he defeated Consider how you've seen him work through your own hard situations in your life. Christians, consider your own salvation. And for anyone who's never put their trust in him for salvation, consider the good news of Jesus this morning and come to him. The door is wide open. I would love to pray with you. Anybody would be happy to pray with you. The question for all of us is, who or what are you trusting in this life? Fear and death? or Jesus Christ who conquered the grave. This morning, bring your fears to Jesus. Find rest in Him. Take courage and follow Him. And don't turn back. We're going to move into a time of response. And during that time, the band will come and they'll continue to lead us in worship and singing. We're also going to come and we're going to take communion as we do each week. On your way, there's a tithe and offering basket in the back where you can give. Uh, You may give online. You can do that also on our website. We want to encourage you to remember, just just even as we just spoke of, we want you to remember and rest in God. Remember that he's your provider, that he's our creator, he's our sustainer. And that that's not just slipping out of our account unaware, but we are pausing to worship God and to give him back what he has given and to trust him wholly. And as you come, we're going to come and we're going to take the bread and uh, dip it in the wine or the juice as we do each week. And we remember the body of Christ that was given for us. And we remember the blood of Christ that was shed for us. And we remember his death on a cross. And we remember that he defeated death. And when we come, we're remembering that together and we're proclaiming it to one another to help each other remember that we're not forgetful like the people in the wilderness. We're reminding each other that we can enter his rest today and forever, and that Jesus saves, that he has saved us, and that he's brought us into the family of God. And so if you're a Christian, whether you're a member at Redemption Church or not, we invite you to come and to take with us. Uh, You can take the bread, you can dip it in the wine or the juice. We also have the cups with the wafer on them if you prefer that as well. I'm going to pray for us and we're going to move into this time. Our Father, our Heavenly Father, who is present with us and whose presence is heavenly, that we remember. You are reality. Jesus is what is real. The death has been conquered. It can't. It doesn't win. You are with us always. And Jesus has proven it through his life and death and resurrection. We have nothing to fear. Jesus is our Lord and Savior and our King. And I pray that even this morning, um, as we kind of consider that question of who we, who we are really trusting in, death and suffering, or Jesus Christ. I pray that you help us to um, lay those little deaths we're afraid of before you. Or maybe it's maybe it's death, physical death that we're. May we bring those fears before you. May we trust you. Do we find confidence in who you are and what you've done and what you said is going to happen. We rest in the God of our salvation. We trust you and follow you. And God, would we know you more and more for it? Would we be more fully satisfied and joyful because of it? Would we see you uh, made known to others because of it? that you use us to be a people who uh, are striving towards this end so that nobody's forgetting Jesus but everybody's constantly reminded of him as we proclaim the truth of who Jesus is for our whole life with all our words with everything we do together.